something that God's laid on my heart. We have a fellowship family, which if you do not have a fellowship family, you should get a fellowship family. And if you run a fellowship family and you don't have people coming to your fellowship family, you should get a fellowship family. I love our fellowship family. We only meet once a month. We eat dinner together. We laugh together. And then we study the word of God together. And lately, we've been doing it a little bit different. We've been watching The Chosen. Anybody watch The Chosen? It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's not the Bible. Please do not watch it and go, oh, that's the Bible. That's exactly how things happened. Because it's not. It's fictionalized a little bit. Hollywood has to make it interesting a little more. You know, they got to put some things in it. But it had me thinking, what was it really like to be one of the first? What was it really like to be there with Jesus? And it led me to thinking, well... Why don't I dig a little deeper into that? And it actually led me to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And, and this is going to go a little different direction than most times I think I've heard people preach about this. They usually talk about fishing for men. And yes, fishing for men is in this passage, as we're going to read here in just a second. But I think we miss something when all we think about is fishing for men. So please join me as we read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it is deeper and let your nets down to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon, both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so if you're following along in a Bible that's in the pews, it probably reads a little bit different. But I like this translation because it's easy to read for a simpleton like me. Um, but I think that this piece of Scripture is truly remarkable. And it tells us about what our response should be to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But before we jump in deep into this passage of Scripture, I think it's important for us to see what has happened leading up to this point in time in the Scriptures. So before we do that, I want us to go back to about 28 AD. Jesus is about 30 years old. And we're going to actually go back and we're going to look at Luke chapter 3. And this is John the Baptist is attracting crowds out in the desert. He's urging them to give up their bad behavior and attitudes. And we see this starting in verses 21 and 22 of, verse of chapter 3. So if you just flip back a couple pages in mine, if I start at verse 21, it says, One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. He was praying. As he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So before this passage, just for our Luke chapter 5 passage, we see Jesus being baptized in public, people around, and him being declared the Son of God. I think that's really important for us to understand before we look at Luke chapter 5 and the response that we should have to a Savior. As soon as this is over... Jesus, in chapter 4 of Luke, goes out into the Judean desert for 40 days without food. The devil tempts him three times. Jesus resists this temptation each time. Then the devil departs from him, and Jesus returns to Galilee and starts to kind of make his home base around Capernaum. Now, let's take a quick look at the next thing that happens. We're actually going to have to go over to the Gospel of John for this part. We're going to see what happens with John's disciples and Jesus all before this happens. So if we flip over to John, and we're going to be looking in chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. Give you just a second to get there. If you're following along there and not up on the screen. It says... The following day, John was again standing. This is right after the baptism. Was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. That would be interesting, right? To have... Jesus turned to you and go, what do you want? Has Jesus ever asked you what you want? That's not what this sermon's about, but it, it just strikes me. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, why are you staying? Come and see. Where are you staying? Sorry. Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew. Simon Peter's brother was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John. 
but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So here is Simon Peter, the owner of this boat that we're going to talk about, meeting Jesus. So remember, Jesus has already been baptized, declared God. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, followed him for a day, went back and told Simon Peter, then Simon Peter came and met Jesus, and Jesus talked to him all before this boat incident occurs. I think that's a really important part for us to understand. Okay, So now, we're going to jump back, because there's a little bit more we need to understand in the background. We're going to jump back into Luke, and the chapter right before chapter 5. We're going to come back to Luke, and we're going to stop here in chapter 4. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but in chapter 4, Jesus returns home to Nazareth, and he is preaching and healing, and his fame is growing, but they reject him. And the crowds get so big, they even try to kill him. They try to push him off a cliff, but he walks through them. Okay? He leaves there, and then he goes on in Luke 4, 31 through 37, and he casts out a demon. It says, Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. And, and then it says, Amazed, the people... Uh, there, too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. And the power and power this man's words possess, even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. And the news about Jesus spread throughout every village in the entire region. And then we go on, right after that, it, title in my Bible says, Jesus heals many people. And right after he has cast out this demon, showed that he is God over the demons, then he's going to go and heal many people. And he actually starts, if we look at verse 38, it says, After leaving the synagogue, that day Jesus went to Simon's home. Now he's in Simon's home, the owner of the boat. Remember, this is all before the boat. Okay? Where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she got up and prepared a meal for them. So Jesus has been baptized. He's met Simon. He's cast out demons. He's preached the word and healed so many people that they were just gathered around him. And then he actually heals Simon's mother. So it's important to understand what Simon knows about Jesus before the boat incident. Okay? And verse 40 continues in chapter 4. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, they, to touch his hand, healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God! But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them, and they refused to let them, and re rebuked them and refused to let them speak. And then he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom in other towns too, because this is why I was sent. So Jesus' fame is growing. 
Because he's healing and casting out demons and doing all of these things. And he says, wait a second. That's not the only reason why I'm here. I am here to preach the word of God. I am here to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So as we can see from all this background knowledge, Simon and Peter had already met. It wasn't even the first miracle he has seen Jesus perform. So now we're going to go back to chapter 5, now that we have this context. And I think we can dig a little deeper in to what God has for us today out of chapter 5. If we look at verse 1 again, it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shores of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Great crowds pressed upon Jesus... Not this time to be healed or to see magic tricks or anything else, but to hear the word of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if that's what happened in America? How about parachute? Wouldn't it be amazing if every seat was full and there were people back there not to come hear me or Pastor Jed or anybody else preach from the pulpit up here, or these music stands, whatever you want to call them. There's nothing special about them but to hear the words of God. I don't know if very many of you were aware, but there was a town, a college, just this last month in America where this occurred. Anybody know about Ashbury University in Kentucky? Anybody hear this story? This is not the first time it's happened at this university, but it started, I believe it was like February 8th or something like that, um, at a chapel service. They had a chapel service. And a young guy got up to share a devotional word of God. He thought he was going to be an utter failure at it. He didn't think it was a very good devotional. And it led to 16 continual days of prayer praise and worship, and sharing of the Word of God. And when I mean 16 continual days, I mean 24 hours a day for 16 days. The university had to cancel classes day after day after day. And word spread so much that so many people came to this little town that the police of this town had to barricade the roads in because the town became unsafe. This happened in America last month. Yeah, amen. Revival. People wanting to hear the word of God. Right? Oh, that we could experience that here in Parachute, Battlement Mesa, in this Grand Valley, that there would just be a thirst for the word of God as these people had. Now, of course... They were listening to Jesus himself. I think I would be pretty excited too, um, needless to say. So now let's take a look. 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. So here we are, Simon. The one who had his mother-in-law healed, 
who has most likely witnessed Jesus casting out demons. Well, that didn't work, Jed. Who has seen all kinds of things happen already. Has already said, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. Has returned to his boats and to his fishing. I mean, how many of us have said a prayer of salvation? How many of you have said one of those, right? You said the little prayer of salvation. And you're like, sweet, I'm saved. I like to call that sometimes fire insurance. Okay? And we're going to get a little bit further into our fire insurance. Okay? You're protected from burning for eternity in hell. But that's not all you've been given. And we're going to see that in this passage. Simon Peter already had even committed to following Jesus. But he returned to fish. Why? He needs to eat. Probably needs to feed his wife and his mother-in-law, who lives with him, obviously. Um, and his companions, his brothers, whom are fishing with him. Not just his brother Andrew, but his friends, the sons of Zebedee. Right? They got this booming business together, and they're fishing. And they've been fishing out all night. They hadn't caught a thing. So now they're over cleaning their nets, mending their nets, getting everything done so that they can go on with the rest of their day, and Jesus shows up. So this isn't a stranger that's just jumping into Peter's boat and saying, push out. Okay? I like to equate this to maybe you're driving around town and you stop somewhere, and there's a guy standing on the street corner with his Bible, and he's preaching, and people are gathered around, and you're stopped at the stop sign, and he comes over and says, let me get in the car. Right? And he just gets in your car and he sits down beside you and he says, drive up the hill a little bit further so that I can stand on that rock. Because there's more people are going to be coming. And you're just like, yeah, cool. And you just drive up the hill, right? You probably wouldn't do that. I would probably see him coming towards my door and I'd probably click the lock button real quick. How many of you would click the lock button? Especially in today's... I would. I don't want to get carjacked. I don't care if he's holding a Bible or not. I don't know this guy. I'm locking the car, man, and I'm driving on. I'm moving on from this guy, right? So Simon obviously knew who Jesus was already, already had an understanding of who was talking to, them, to him. So he left his nets and all of his partners, and he pushed the boat out so Jesus could finish his teaching. And this is what I find really interesting. This is a total tangent here, but... We all know that when you go fishing and you're on a lake, your voice does what? It carries, right? Yeah. Jesus is a, th a physics guy. I was a physics teacher, right? He understands physics. Oh, yeah, that's right. He created physics, right? So he understands the physics. He gets pushed out. Then he can teach to the crowds. They can hear him even better as he pushes out from the shore. We don't know what Jesus was teaching. It doesn't tell us. All it tells us is that he was teaching the word of God, right? And at this moment, we can only assume that when he finishes, he was not really finished teaching. But he wasn't really finished teaching Simon. He asked him to perform an object lesson for him. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let your nets to catch some fish. 
Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. This is such an interesting response. This little response from Simon. First and foremost, he says, Master. He understood who Jesus was. He had a little bit of an understanding, but I don't think he had a full understanding who Jesus was quite yet. He was like, Master, Rabbi, the one I said I would follow. Are you crazy? I'm the fisherman. We just spent all night out here. We know what we're doing. This is how we make a living. We wouldn't be alive today if we couldn't catch fish. That's what I think he's saying to him. You're nuts. And then he goes, but whatever. I'll prove you wrong. That's what I think he's thinking. He's going, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'll put the nets in, buddy. Has anybody ever done that to God? I do that to God. I do it to him all the time. Where I say, all right, whatever. I'll do it. But very reluctantly. Like, sometimes when I have to come and work at Awana, I do that. I go, ugh, it's Wednesday night. I don't really want to come this time. I don't want to do that lesson to those little kids this time. But whatever, I'll go. And I go. And then, well, sometimes leading worship over here, I'm like, it's Thursday. I don't want to go to practice. I'm not going to go to this. And I show up anyway, all reluctant, or even standing here in front of you today. I've told Pastor Jed this multiple times in the last few weeks. I'm very reluctantly here in front of you today. And, you know, this isn't unique to me. This isn't unique to Simon Peter. I mean, Moses, just last week, right? We talked about Exodus. Um, he was kind of like, oh, I can't talk. I ain't going, no, we ain't doing this. Are you crazy, God? He did the same thing, right? It's amazing how reluctant. We know who he is. He is God. John 1.1, it's not in here, you know. It says, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And he created the earth. We know who he is. Yet we are still reluctant to do what he tells us to do. We are crazy. He's God. And we're reluctant to do it. But Simon, I think he kind of has understanding, but not really. So at this time, goes on, at this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish, and they were on the verge of sinking. So Simon says, yeah, whatever, I'll put them in. And then he's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? We have so many fish. My net's going to break. My boat is sinking. I need help. I think the response of the fish is pretty interesting. The fish weren't reluctant to obey Jesus, their creator. But Simon was. I am. The fish are like, sweet. 
Jesus told us, jump in those nets and die. <laughs> Come on, people. Can't we be better than the fish? I mean, for goodness sakes, these fish just jump in there. And Simon, and they're sinking. I mean, this has to be a catch of epic proportion. This has to be something that you look at, that Simon's looking at going, oh my goodness, this might be enough fish for like us to sell for a whole year. I don't know how much fish it takes to sell for a year. I mean, they could have become flipping Sam's Club <laughs> for Galilee, right? I mean, but that's not what Simon Peter's reaction is to this. They get him in and, and look, this is where it really just blows my mind. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He didn't say, Jesus, I got a deal for you, man. We Sam's Club, we Costco, we're Bill Walton, we're going to own the Broncos someday. Man, all you got to do is show up one day a week. Do this thing. We'll sell all the fish, and then whatever you want the rest of the week, man. We'll follow you. We'll help you teach the Word of God. You can cast out demons and stuff, but just one day a week, please. Please, one day a week. We'll just pull out, catch all these fish, then we'll sell them all, and we'll be, it'll, we'll be able to take care of you. I mean, you'll get new sandals. Think about how awesome this is. That's not what he says. He says to the one who just brought all these fish that could change his financial life forever, go away! Leave me! How many of us, when God blesses us, do we say that? Do you ever say when God gives you something good, hey God, go away! Leave me alone! I don't know if I have. I don't think I do, but I do it subconsciously, right? I take it and I'm like, woo hoo 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 everything's great! And then when things go bad, then I'm like, ah, see, I knew it! Right? We go to this place. But what I love to see in this is that at this moment, Peter realizes something about Jesus. He realizes that Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He has realized that Jesus is holy. He is holy. He's like, oh my goodness. He is holy. He is God. He is not a prophet. He is not a healer. This is a holy man. This is God's own son. Because, look at his response again. Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. He realizes that his sin has separated him from the one that's standing in his boat. He's confessing to Jesus Christ that he is not worthy of his presence because he is not holy as Jesus is holy. He's showing despair. He's showing that he has no hope in life. And guess what? Each and every one of us sitting in here, 
We don't have any hope without the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is what gives unholy people hope. It gives us hope. But I also think this shows us something about why this church is not filled to the brim and packing out the back as we talked about earlier. Simon is not comfortable around Jesus. Why? Because he's not holy. I think we need to understand something as Christians. If you're sitting in here today and you're a believer, you've prayed that prayer. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity of God, comes to live inside of each and every one of you. Every time that comes to my mind, it gives me chills. It makes me almost shake inside to realize that God is living in me. I'm not God, but he is living in me. And when we live the Christian life, the life that he actually calls us to live, which we'll see this here in just a second as we wrap up Luke 5, 1 through 11, as we do those last two verses, 10 and 11, how, what he's called us to do. When we live that out, we make people uncomfortable. I tell my daughters, only one of them's here all the time, you're not going to have a lot of friends outside of the church if you choose to live your life for God. Because you will make them uncomfortable. They won't want to be around you. Because they can sense the holiness of God that dwells within you. And that will make them uncomfortable unless they've softened their heart to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit and then you have the opportunity to witness to them. R.C. Sproul tells a story in his book, The Holiness of God, about a professional golfer who just won PGA Tour Professional Golfer of the Year. And then he got to go golfing with Jack Nicholas, President Gerald Ford, and Billy Graham. Now I'm going to read this to you, what he says. He says, A well-known professional golfer was playing in a tournament with President Gerald Ford, fellow pro Jack Nicholas, and Billy Graham. After the round was over, one of the other pros on the tour asked, Hey, what is it like playing with the president and Billy Graham? The pro said with disgust, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. With that, he headed for the practice tee. His friend followed. And after the golfer had pounded out his fury on a bucket of golf balls, he asked, Was Billy a little rough on you out there? The pro sighed and said, em, said with embarrassment, No, he didn't even mention religion. Astonishingly, Billy Graham had said nothing about God, Jesus, or religion. Yet the pro stomped away after the game, accusing Billy of trying to ram religion down his throat. What had happened? Simply this. The evangelist had so reflected Christ's likeness 
that his presence brought the same feeling to the pro as experienced by Isaiah when he knew he was lost. Lost a man of unclean lips and living among a people of unclean lips. In the life of Billy Graham, the lost pro had sensed the presence of our holy God. When we live the life that God has called us to live, other people will notice. And you will make certain people uncomfortable. If we jump back real quick, we're about finished here. We jump back to verses 10 and 11. It says, His partners James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. For from now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This passage is often used um, by preachers and teachers of the word to say, oh, you, you give up everything. I mean, he just left all those fish to die on a boat, right? It didn't say they put them back. They just immediately left. Here's all these fish sinking these boats. I mean, can you imagine this scene? And all these people who are just watching and listening to Jesus preach, and these guys just get off and leave, and these boats are out there like with all this fish on them. I wonder if they all swam out and started grabbing fish. I have no idea. Makes me wonder, or did they turn and try to follow too? We don't know. But they left everything, and he says, you will become fishing for people. I believe that what I see here, he says, do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of my holiness because I am going to make you holy, Peter, and I'm going to use you to reach others. That's God's call on our lives. He gives us one job to do, to live for him and to tell others about him. That's the only job he gave us. America has become so divisive today, politically, on the lines of things. There are things in our country that are evil and wrong. And I'm not saying we don't stand up and say that's evil and that's wrong. But what I'm trying to say is that our job isn't to go around and be trumping up, no pun intended, some candidate for office like they're going to save us. Because they're not. The only way that you see a change in a country is if people are pressing in to hear the word of God. And their lives are changed. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago on my way down to Grand Junction to a doctor's appointment. And people who know me know that I really like skillet which is a heavy metal kind of rock band, but they're Christian, don't worry. They're not, they're not, they're not devil worshipers. Um, and the lead singer, his name's John Cooper. And he was actually a former youth pastor, but he has a podcast called Cooper Stuff. If you want, listen to it. Some of the stuff I don't agree with, because sometimes it gets political too. Seems like everybody wants to go political anymore sometimes. But this one was him talking to his ex-college roommate, who's actually a pastor at the local church that John Cooper attends. And they were talking about grace. And what is grace? 
Because I believe that's what we see here in this passage. When Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, we see the grace of God. And what, it, what they were talking about was one thing people always hear is, um, I can't remember it now, but grace is the unmerited favor of God is one thing that people have heard. How many have heard that before? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Right, right, right. I think it's God's riches at Christ's expense. Has someone heard that before? That's what it is, the acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense, right? Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely 100% true. But there's more to it. There's a lot more to the grace of God. That's the fire insurance. God's riches at Christ's expense. The unmerited favor of God. That's your fire insurance. You know, it says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so whoever believeth in him should have everlasting life. Right? Should not perish, but have everlasting life. That everlasting life, you're not waiting on it. It doesn't happen the day you die. It happens the day you receive the Holy Spirit. You are living your eternal life immediately. You have it. And you have the power of God living in you. Grace is the power to live the life that you need to live for God and to do what God wants you to do. The power of God so that you can be who you are called to be and do what you are called to do. That's the other side of grace. If we look... Got, a, got one last verse here in 1 Peter. If you look at the closing, now Peter, wait, wait, Simon, Peter. So this is the same guy, a little bit later on, right? Right? At the end of this, this letter in 1 Peter, starting in verse 12, he says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commanded, commended to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. We can live the life God has called us to. To go out, to tell others, to live a life set apart because of the grace of God. Because of the power that the grace of God gives each and every believer. We need to stop living our lives as if we just have fire insurance. It's wonderful that we have fire insurance that we're not going to hell. Don't get me wrong. But we're missing out on the other part that God has for us. And that's for us right here right now, to stand firm in the grace that he has given you so that you can live the life that he has called you to live and to make a difference for him. We're going to close our service in a chorus. So I'm going to have the girls come back up here to help me out with this. But we're going to close with a chorus. It's one that you should be somewhat familiar with. We've sang it before in church. It's called, You Are Holy. And the words read, 